And so if we're putting the right stuff in us and we are saying the right things and filling our minds with the right affirmations and really thinking about the food we put in and how we frame things around us, this is when life starts to change because the mind-body connection says, science says, that when you put the right stuff in you, you're going to get the right stuff out of you. It's just the way the body works. And so if we don't like what's happening around us, it's time to do the work within us, right? And that's not selfish. That's brave. That's saying, I'm not okay with what's going on out here. And so I'm going to take the steps forward to do what it takes to start putting the right stuff in me. Welcome to the Vibe Living Podcast, a podcast that talks about topics for women over 40. You know, that time of your life that many call midlife. That time of life when you can really vibe, be vibrant, intuitive, beautiful, and emerge. Join me, Linus Wood Mullins, certified holistic living and wellness expert for women over 40, as I talk about a variety of topics that address the wellness of the mind, body, and spirit for women over 40. Remember, midlife doesn't mean no life. Midlife is an opportunity to increase your self-love, your self-care, and your self-worth. It's your time to be vibrant, intuitive, beautiful, and emerged. It's your time to vibe. So come on, let's vibe. and welcome to the Vibe Living Podcast. My name is Linus Woods-Mullins and I am so excited to be able to bring you some of the premier experts of mind, body, spirit, wellness for women over 40. Today we're going to be talking about something that I really had never considered before as a midlife woman to be a thing, you know? I've never thought about the idea that uh, being in midlife requires women to be brave. And I thought, you know, it's midlife. You can't help it. It's going to come. It's what you do. But it's the way we carry it that I think makes us so brave. And we're going to be talking about the idea of bravery in midlife with my good friend, Jen Buck. Hey, Jen, welcome to the Vibe Living Podcast. It's wonderful to see you here today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's wonderful to see your face after all of the, you know, the, all of the areas that we sort of overlap. It's great to be with you. Yeah, it's interesting because I think I've only, you know, none of you or you may have only known me less than a year. But I think sometimes it's not the quantity of communication, it's the quality of communication. And I've watched you on uh, Instagram and the things that you care about. Um, I've been in certain rooms with you and, and the things that really resonate with your spirit. And I really admire your approach to life and I admire what you have accomplished. And I admire the things that you're doing for women just by being you. Uh, and I want people to know kind of who you are and how you got into this whole motivational thing because I did. I digress. Let me digress a little bit. Jen is a professional motivational speaker, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. So please tell us a little bit about you and how you came to be so passionate about what it is that you do. Oh, thank you. Well, yes, I am a professional speaker. I've been doing this on my own independently for 24 years. And so I actually started my career, though, working for an internationally known billion dollar startup. And it's now a global brand, uh, award winning. I mean, they, they are extraordinary. And I spent the first decade of my career there as a leadership development and employee development facilitator. So very early on, still going to college, 
knew that I wanted to be a speaker. I'd gone to a women's conference and was inspired and the lightning had struck. And so while I was going to college, I was actually working at this startup for the first 10 years of my career in employee and leadership development. And so when I decided to jump off at 28 years old, I actually left because I was hired by the National Women's Conference. And so that's where the springboard happened. I spent seven years there going all around the country and eventually building a, a big client list around the world. So I've been doing it a long time now. That's amazing. And, you know, that is so like a woman who's on the ball is being able to take the sum total of your experiences and using them to propel you into what your real dream is, what your real passion is. And you're doing it right now. And I so admire that. Uh, so many of us, for whatever reason, don't get a chance to really operate within their passion. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think that it's not necessarily that we don't have the ability to do it. Uh, we've got the skills many times, everything. I, I truly do believe that if you have a passion of something that you really want to do, that everything that you need to do that thing is within you. The yeah. only thing that might be missing a little bit might be the outside support. But specifically, though, what might be missing is the internal support the yeah. kinds of things that we tell ourselves, how we feel about ourselves. Why do you think it is that some midlife women or a lot of midlife women struggle with feeling good about who they are and also missing the fact that they truly are awesome because of their sum total of experience? Yeah, I think probably our, our biggest kryptonite is feeling invisible. Invisibility is a big piece of this. You know, we all had sort of our prime, if you will, and we had this big purpose, whatever that looked like. And now we have younger people coming in who might have stronger degrees, you know, a bigger education, or maybe we're losing our, our influence uh, in that space of work because we've possibly lost touch. We feel in our mind we've lost touch with what is new, progressive, influential, and whatnot. So something happens that trips us up and makes us feel like we're not relevant anymore. Mm -hmm. And so that irrelevance and that invisibility end up really impacting women in feeling that they still have the power and influence to move a needle. And it's, it's first, I believe, up here, it starts to really infect us and our thinking. And then it starts to change the way that we present ourselves in the workplace, present ourselves in the world. And I think that really is where it begins and what we have to be super honest about, you know? Yes, I think you're right. I find with the women that I work with, um, and usually the women that I work with have issues around their wellness. Um, sometimes they need to balance their hormones or they're dealing with the impact of stress and anxiety on their immune systems, yeah. or they need more energy or whatever. But when we really peel back the layers to figure out what the causation is, many times it has, it's surrounded around how they're feeling about themselves. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the line, the need for self-care that will alleviate some of those wellness issues yeah. just has gone away. And instead, the need to help others and, you know, give up themselves and everything else, that seems to grow while the one that taking care of themselves seems to go down. Yeah. And it's really interesting because it seems to really exacerbate during midlife. And I, I don't know exactly why that is. And some of the, you mentioned some reasons why it could be. But one thing that I've noticed for sure is that there is a lack of joy living that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
because we're not we're not taking good care of ourselves and whether we choose to do it that way or not we know that something isn't quite right something mm -hmm. is off and the other thing i've noticed too and this is just kind of how our society is we're so out of directed so if we're not getting the reinforcement from someone other than ourselves and I've, I've, I struggled with this for years, especially when I started my own business. I kept expecting those who I loved and admire and I, whose uh, opinion mattered the most, my husband and my kids, I kept expecting for them to say, wow, mom, that was a great whatever. But the reality is they didn't know what I was doing day to day. Sure. And even if I were to share it with them, they're like, oh, okay, well, what's the yeah. big deal about that? Yeah. So what is your advice or what has been your observation in terms of how women can stay motivated and empowered, even if they're not getting that messaging externally? Yeah. And I think that that's sort of the the golden question. Right. And and how do we all of a sudden take our focus that has been on raising others and providing you know, safety and comfort for everybody else? And then suddenly here we are in midlife trying to figure out, all right, they're all gone. This is what I have done. This is how I've defined myself. How do I now pivot and go from being so outwardly focused to now allowing myself to be inwardly focused? I spent a lifetime teaching my kids not to be inwardly focused. Mm -hmm. And now I suddenly have to go through every ounce of that programming, right, on myself. And so I think that when we can really start really start letting go of the word selfish. I think that's kind of the first step. That self-focus is about balance and well-being and my mindset and how I contribute to the world and how I create peace and balance in my life, right? Those things on any given day wouldn't be called selfish by anyone, but our brain, because we've taught our kids not to be that, mm -hmm. instantly goes in that direction. When I take my walk and I shut the world off, or I only eat certain things, or I choose not to partake in a habit that I've always done, maybe of eating popcorn every day when I watch a certain show at night with my partner. When I start to change those habits, often what the people around me, the external thinks is that I'm being selfish. Mm -hmm. I'm changing the, the rhythm of what we've always done together, which makes them insecure, which then puts me right back into the caretaker mode. Oh, no, no, it's okay. I'll have the popcorn. I'll have the cake. I'll, I'll sit around. I won't go on the walk. I won't go to the gym for an hour. I will start to change my patterns because I'm so afraid of, here we go again, being seen as selfish or not, uh, not allowing the people I love the most to feel like I'm still in the caretaker mode. And so we put ourselves on the, the bottom of the list, right? And so I think it has to start up here and realize that, you know, I can't be good for everyone else unless I'm feeling 100% for myself. And that is a really, really hard thing for a lot of women who mm -hmm. have been in that zone for at least 20 years, usually, to suddenly break out of, right? That's true. And it's interesting because the other part of it is that society reinforces that in terms of what should be expected when we get to a certain stage in life. For years and years and years, the messaging was when you get in your 40s and your, well, definitely your 50s, you're going to be in grandma mode. Yeah. And you're going to retire and if you are working and you're going to be taking care of the grandkids, helping with the grandkids. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. There are some women that is their passion and that's what they want to do. But I would challenge even those women to really think about if you really had your druthers and you could do whatever it is that you wanted to do, would that be your first A number one priority 
to do that? Or was it something that was a preset expectation based upon years and years of indoctrination and observation of what others have done? And you felt like that's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And you know, I have a very dear friend who, um, you know, helped with her grandchildren, in fact, just about raised them. And now she's looking at helping with her great grandchildren and she's exhausted. Yeah. And I finally had to tell her, I said, you know, no is a complete sentence. You right. can say that and not have any guilt associated to it. It's not like you haven't been there yeah. for 40 something years raising your children and then your children's children. Now your children's children. That's crazy. Yeah. At some point you got to take care of you. Mm -hmm. And that's a really hard redefining moment, right? Yeah. Like that's, Think about anything we've done for 20 to 40 years. That is such a big challenge to redefine. But what I do know is that a lot of us are redefining that. We're mm -hmm. redefining what midlife looks like. I remember growing up, my grandmother was a beautiful woman. So she was really very pinup, you know, beautiful and raised her kids and was into fashion and had her own clothing store. And she was just a really chic lady. And once all of the kids were married, she and my grandmother, I'm sorry, grandfather. And so she was probably 40 ish right around there. They decided to move to the mountains. They left Los Angeles and decided to move up to the mountains, up into the Tahoe area, bought an, a 40 acre farm. And she said that the joy of her life was not having to raise kids, not having to raise their kids, getting to eat whatever she want, uh, wants and never needing to cut or color her hair again. And by the time she died, she was everything that you just, I put into your brain just now with a braid that went all the way down to her waist, gray braid that went all the way down to her waist. She ate everything she ever wanted and she didn't care again. And that was what I was raised with. Now, some would say that doesn't sound very grandmotherly we were there every single summer, every summer we would go up there and spend a month with her. And it was wonderful. But then it was like, you got to go, you got to go because now your grandfather and I are living our best life. And so for me, it, it was a really strong feminist message yes. that she gets to look the way she wants. She gets to put the boundaries up. Sure. Her job is done and she did it beautifully and well. And now it's time for you all to take care of yourselves because I get to do it my way now. And I was raised with that. And I remember as a kid, always thinking, but I want to stay at grandma's another week. And it was like, nope, you're out. You're out. You know. But you know what? Therein lies the very thing that we're going to be, that we are talking about today. It's brave to go against the expectations of others. It's brave to go against um, society's mantras. It's even brave to go against our own internal programming that we have, you know, uh, been exposed to all of our lives. Mm -hmm. That's what I think um, can be brave about midlife. And I want to definitely, you know, send the message to midlife women that you're almost inherently brave to have gotten to this point, yeah. uh, regardless of what roles you've been playing, because yeah. being a woman in the society requires bravery. Yes. Yeah. And if you think about it, this is, in my opinion, this is my prime. I know my body. I have these experiences. I know my worth and value. I've created and contributed on such a big level for a long time. 
And I think a lot of this is, again, going back to sort of the redefinition, redefining of, finding a way to, to repurpose sort of these old ideas. I've had to really look at the word elder. You know, when I turned 50, a friend of mine, I was really not liking that one bit. Like that was a tough one for me. None of the other ages were tough, but I hit 50 and I was like, oh gosh, like old, old paradigms and old thoughts, you know, of what 50 really was about came in. And I remember a friend of mine, gorgeous, glorious 50 plus woman said to me, you need to cut this out because you're an elder. And you right now, as an elder, are here to lead the young women. And if that doesn't fit into who you are as a human being in every aspect of your life, I don't know what does. So you need to cut this out. And it was just, you know, like being smacked in the face mm -hmm. because elder kind of is along the line of 50. I don't know that I want those in my definition, but when she framed it that way, I thought, oh no, bring it on. Right. This is my prime. This is the time. This is the time for me to step gloriously and bravely into this place of leadership. And that was the shift for me. You know, it's interesting because I love what you wrote when I asked you, you know, what, what are you doing to embrace midlife? And you said, I'm owning the role of elder yeah. and have redefined what that means to me in yeah. terms of being wise, experienced and fierce. That's and that's what I would love for midlife women to really feel. And, you know, I say midlife because I'm, I've been struggling with that title for a while, ever since I got on Clubhouse, because prior to that, I was always talking about women over 40. Yeah. And then I heard all midlife, midlife. And I'm thinking, OK, am I midlife? I'm almost 65. That means I'll be 128, 138. It's, so I'm not quite sure. Um, was it 130? I'm not quite sure if that is where I'm at at midlife, uh, but I am at a point in life where I am really evaluating uh, the sum total of my experiences yeah. and seeing how they can support me and doing the things that I'm really passionate about at this stage of life. So if that is the definition of midlife, then that's where I am. And that's the other thing I think that's really brave uh, for midlife women is to not allow themselves to be labeled mm. and to fall into certain categories if that's not what resonates with you. Yeah. I, have, uh, um, I have a very dear friend, Marianne Alda. In fact, she um, did a podcast uh, with us earlier. She's an actress and um, she will be 73 by the time this podcast airs. And she is really into the whole idea of using the word old, saying mm. I'm old. And, you know, she was saying that, you know, her, her friends or, you know, loved ones are, you're not old. She says, yes, I am. I'm old. What's wrong with that? You yeah. know, it was back in the day, the whole thing was like, I'm black. No, you're not. You're brown or you're Negro, whatever. Well, no, I'm black. That's what I prefer to be called. What's wrong with that? And right. it has to do with the negative connotations that are associated yeah. to that word. Yes. But I think that women are being very brave, owning the elder, the old, and turning it upside down on its head. That yeah. even though they might go ahead and allow themselves to be labeled that way or whatever, they fall outside the stereotype of what that generally means. Yeah. You know, there's so much power in that and I'm loving it because media, mm. which both of you are, and I are a part of, right? Mm -hmm. It feeds us this need to be young forever. Right. And it feeds us this belief that only the young are powerful. Only the young, you know, have the vitality to really do great things in the world and all of the, these crazy, crazy ideas. And I'm watching 
we have a 24 year old daughter and I'm watching all of her friends get Botox. Wow. I, I don't so even know. Scary. So scary. And <laughs> that there is this push in media that says old is bad. And that needs to be reframed big time because I'm with you on that. I, I feel like I've never felt so good. I've never been this successful and I've never looked this good, at least felt like I looked good. There's the difference because in my mind in years past, I felt like I didn't look good at the time. I was to this or to that. I'm so comfortable in my own skin now that I, I can actually say, I feel like I look good. Right. Yes. And, and there's so nothing wrong with that. There's yes. not. And yet we've got an entire media machine saying that being old is bad. So I love your friend for totally owning that word and twisting it around and putting it up on its ear because everything around us tells us that old is bad. Well, I'm going 50 years strong and I feel really good. I feel like I look good. I feel like I think good things. I'm doing good things, you know, and there's something really powerful in that. Yeah, I agree. It's something very powerful about that. And yeah. there's something you said um, uh, that kind of reminded me of the whole vibe philosophy. And, uh, you know, V is for vibrant. Uh, I is for, in, you know, intuitive, being more intuitive. And B is beauty. And when I talk about beauty, I really am talking about that inner beauty radiating out because I am a walking witness. When I left corporate America at the age of 51, um, you know, I had the equivalent of the American dream, I thought, but actually it was the American nightmare because I was going crazy trying to keep it all. I was totally stressed out and had an anxiety disorder. I mm -hmm. took that year off. And when I did, um, I, I found out a few things about myself. But one of the things I found out was I really wasn't enjoying what I was doing the way I used to. Something had changed mm -hmm. and I needed to get to the bottom of that and find out what it was. And as I peeled back the layers further, I knew that I wasn't using all of my talents. I was just using a very small scintilla of yeah. what I'd been given. And I wanted to find a way to use those other parts of me that had been dormant for so long. Mm -hmm. And um, it was in that time frame as I began to build my business and figure out what I wanted to do and everything else, I entered into the joy quotient. Because for me, it's not always about being happy because that comes and goes, but you can have joy in the midst of some pretty crazy circumstances. And mm -hmm. I learned how to have joy. And when you start having joy, something changes, I think, with you from the inside that radiates out. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're drawing people to you. They're giving you these compliments and everything else, but you're so much older than you were at the time when you got a lot of compliments. I, and here I am, I'm almost 65, and I get more attention now than I ever did when I was in my 40s or wow. in my 30s, yeah. in my 30s. And that's because of the inner beauty, the work that I've done. That's right. You know, on myself, uh, it begins to radiate out. And I think that's the, that's the wonderful opportunity in midlife is that you get to, if you choose to, be even braver, go yeah. inside and do that work, whatever yeah. that is, uh, peel back the layers, deal with your trauma, your unforgiveness, your bitterness, your hurt, your anger, your shame, whatever it is, actually work on that. Yeah. And it's amazing how that changes the way you look. Mm -hmm. It changes the way you view yourself. And if you're feeling good about yourself, if you're thinking you're beautiful, it's amazing how many other people are like, 
wow, gee, you look really good. Nothing yeah. changed. I probably actually, if the rose colored glasses were off, I got a lot more gray hair, a few character lines, wrinkles, you know, stuff yeah. like that. But there's something else at play besides just that beauty thing. That's why when you tell me about the Botox thing, it's like, ooh, that scares me a little bit. I always yeah. wonder when you get Botox that young, what you'll be looking like when you get my age. I, I don't know. I don't know either, but I, you know, I think that what you're saying is also 100% backed by science. We know that the mind-body connection has been scientifically proven, right? We know what happens to people that feed their minds with positive things when it comes to healing, when it comes to, you know, what they attract, when it comes to rewiring old patterns. We know that EMDR therapy is used on PTSD soldier soldiers with PTSD because you can actually rewire the brain so that it gives positive results. We know this, this is science. This is not woo woo. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if we're putting the right stuff in us and we are saying the right things and filling our minds with the right affirmations and really thinking about the food we put in and how we frame things around us, this is when life starts to change because the mind body connection says science says that when you put the right stuff in you, you're going to get the right stuff out of you. It's just the way the body works. And so if we don't like what's happening around us, it's time to do the work within us, right? And that's not selfish. That's brave. That's saying, I'm not okay with what's going on out here. And so I'm going to take the steps forward to do what it takes to start putting the right stuff in me, you know? I, I love that philosophy. And, and I know sometimes it can be scary and hurtful. And I don't mean to minimize that when it comes to doing that self-work. But there's so much value in being in the valley because sometimes it is in the valley while you're doing that work. Mm -hmm. And You know, when I had my event, I had a choice. I could, you know, take heed to the fact that I was in the midst of a nervous breakdown or whatever you want to call it. Or I could just, you know, try to figure out a way to push all that stuff back into my emotional closet. You know how it is when you have a full it's closet. So much easier. And <laughs> yeah. Everything comes falling out and you're like, yeah. well, I'm gonna put it back in. It's, it seems like it's impossible. How did you get it back in there in the first place? Right. Well, it's the same thing with our emotional closet. If you ever have that event, the idea of just pushing it back in like it didn't happen is probably the most harmful and requires so much energy. Yeah. Why right. not go ahead and say, okay, this is jacked up. Everything's out all over. Let me just take up one thing at a time and decide, do I want to put this in my closet or not? It's broken. Do I want to fix it? Fix it? Mm -hmm. Do I want to throw the shit out? Yeah. Yeah. It's something else. And that for me is what happened. Um, it took years for me to get to a place where I was in control of my anxiety, you know, that I, I'm about 95% there. But for years, I was at like 10% and just negated the feeling that I would have first thing in the morning when I would wake up, I'd feel like I was going straight downhill with the roller coaster with no restraints. That's mm -hmm. how it felt every single morning. Mm -hmm. And um, that's when I started drinking coffee because for some reason, uh, unlike a lot of people with anxiety, the coffee seemed to make it better for a while. Yeah. Well, it didn't, you know, mm -hmm. and that's when I had to really start dealing with that. But the gift in dealing with some of your demons, so to speak, that, you know, have been driving you to be unhappy and to not be able to really claim your life the way you want to. The beauty is that when you begin to get those aha moments, it's kind of like energy bites. You know, the Pac-Man, it's like, oh, wow, yeah, yeah, that worked. Yeah. When it comes to that, 
What's been some of your energy bites that have made you realize, wow, I'm on the right path. That worked. I want to keep doing that. Well, I'm a really public person, right? Because as a professional speaker, I have to be very authentic about all my feelings and I have to be able to put it out there. And so that sort of gets translated into the blog and the podcast and the social media posts or whatever it is. And for me, being really honest about my pain, in fact, you even know that at the tail end of last year, I guess it was September, I lost a ton of people, more people in one month, five week period than I've lost in my whole life combined. And it all happened, boom, in five weeks, being transparent and vulnerable, and then having people come in with the me too's, I think is really important for us to realize that we don't do any of this alone. And when we can be completely authentic and completely transparent, and you see that you actually have that squad that you didn't even realize, they may not be the, the immediate squad, but you've got layers of people who are relating to you. I think those have been probably the most important moments of my life when I realized that my vulnerability and truth is what matters most. You know, I often talk about how, you know, when you, I'm from Southern California. And so I grew up in Yorba Linda and, you know, through that pass on the 91 freeway, there are so many fires that happen there every single year. It's one of the hot spots, you know, going from Orange County to Riverside. Right. And so I remember every year we would see just the, the scarring of the earth, right. From, from the fire. So it would just be black earth. And we would be so sad as a family because we'd think, oh, this is why we all moved out here. We love the green. We love the hills, the, you know, the beauty. But every spring, you would start to see these little tiny nubs of little blooms pushing up, whether it was a, a flower or a blade of grass through this charred earth, you would see that. And that is something that always drives me, that Truth always wins. Truth always wins. It doesn't matter how much scorching. It doesn't matter how many times you've been burned. I think when we show up authentically and we're brave enough to talk about our pain, our confusion, our lack of control, our heartache, I think that the sprouts, they come up and people see those because we all know things have been scorched and you feel like you're very scarred. But when you finally allow that truth to come up, people notice and they come because we celebrate truth. We celebrate growth. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's been probably the most important lesson for me, because when I was younger, by the way, I wasn't always this transparent. Mm -hmm. I told just enough to make sure that it was optimistic and motivational and inspirational, but there was a limit. There was a wall. That wall is down. And, and this happened, by the way, after 40, but it's all there. The scars, the heartbreaks, the loss. I'm a whole person and, and this is who I am. And all of those blades of grass that ended up coming up and the people who came to tend those new blades of grass, those are people that are still in my circle today, you know? You know, that's amazing because I do believe that God places people in your life for a reason, for a season. Yeah. And um, you're never totally alone, although you might feel that way. And there are people who notice things that are watching that you don't even know, especially when you do the kinds of things that we do. Mm -hmm. And I remember when that period of time 
um, was happening. And I reached out to you because you I did. saw it and I'm sure that others did several as well. times. You did yeah, mm-hmm. had several times just to check on you because yeah. I know what that feels like to feel like, um, not necessarily no one understands, but you just don't want to bother anybody. You don't yeah. want to say anything, you know, you're, you're, and back then at that time, everybody was going through everything as That's well. Right. That's right. Us, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes. But I remember when my mom died so tragically so many years ago, it'll be 32 or 33, 33 years in March. There was someone who I really didn't even know that well that reached out to me and was basically talking to me or I was talking to her every day for at least two or three months until I got over a hump. And then I'm not quite sure where she is today, but mm-hmm. in many ways, um, she she saved my life because I was, you know, suicidal. I had just had mm-hmm. um, a baby. She was five weeks old and I had a 17 month old and a four year old. And my mom mm-hmm. um, got hit by a fire truck on her way to work. She was oh, in no. a car. She had the green. They had the red. I had just seen her that morning, just seen her that morning. But that began my slide into an anxiety disorder because of the way that I found out about her death was even more traumatizing. I had gone to my office uh, to show off the baby. I was still on maternity leave. Uh, This was before cell phones. This was in 1989. And my dad knew I was going by my office and he calls me there. And I was like, wow, dad, what's going on? He said, your mom's been in an accident. I need you to go back to our house, you know, to the family home and wait there because his father was visiting at the time and his father was in his late seventies and exhibiting some signs of dementia. So he didn't want to leave him alone for too long. So I said, okay, fine, I'll go back home. So I'm there and I'm like feeling nervous. It's like something's not feeling right. So I called my mom's office because I left my, you know, Franklin planner, you know, back in the day, I oh, left yeah. the office and um, I didn't have any phone numbers. So I called my mom's uh, secretary and I said, listen, I need to call a couple of people to see if they can come sit with me, you know? And she said, oh, Lennis, um, I didn't even tell her why I need the number. I just told her I need some home numbers that I left, I had, I left my Franklin planner at the office. And she said, oh, Lennis, you know, we are all so devastated. We just absolutely loved your mother. And I said, loved? That's like ED, past tense. Oh, no. She's gone. And that's how I found out. That's so sad. And so that's how I began that journey into the abyss of controlling everything, my kids, my husband, my employees, my neighbors, my friends, my dad, my sisters, everybody. There was not going to be ever any surprises. Well, fast forward 25 years later, it's no wonder that I wasn't, you know, cuckoo and crazy and, you know, emotional causes falling out all over the place and having to take that time off because I really hadn't dealt with any of the real trauma associated with all of that. But the good news was that as I began to peel back the layers and really heal from the trauma that came from all of that, I began to realize that there was so much more of me, so much more to me that I had not even explored because I had been so busy controlling everything else and not dealing with me. Yes. But the minute I began to start dealing with me and everything else, that's when I began to realize, wait a minute, not only did I still have a lot more to learn, a lot more to do that I've always wanted to, to do, but I had so much to share yeah. with other women when it comes yeah. to this whole feeling of anxiety. And, and I realize now, and I've never put this term to it, but since we've been talking about bravery over the last week or two, I was brave. I never looked at it that way. I, never, I just did what I had to do. 
but I was brave. Yeah. And I admire so much that you are talking about this and bringing it to the forefront because I think many women like me just never looked at themselves as brave. You just do what you have to do. Right. And you know, you're, you're sort of tripping some, some memories for me too, as you talk about the loss of your mom and holding it together. I remember when I lost my dad, very similar things happened. I needed to hold it together for everyone. I needed to hold it together for my mom, my brother, the aunts and uncles, all the people. So I was the person holding it together, holding. And I remember a friend of mine at some point, because I even managed the whole service, uh, had everybody over to the house after, was the hostess. How's everybody doing? Right. And while my mom is over here, barely holding it together, I'm, I got it. I got it. I'll get the drink. I'll do, you know, and I remember someone came up to me and put her hand, friend, put her hand on mine and just held my hand. And I remember doing this, Linus. Yes. Just staring down. Not what, like, what is this? I lost all ability to be vulnerable because I was so busy. Being busy and strong. Yes. I was so intent on holding it together that it wasn't until about two years later where I hit a wall too. And I can relate to that. And I remember the therapist asking me, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? What do you do in your downtime? And I had nothing. I had nothing. I work. I hold everything together. I, I do my job. And I didn't ever have that sort of freedom of expression at that point. And this is, you know, mid thirties when I'm supposed to be doing all of that. And it was a real big awareness to me that I needed to be brave enough to say I can be her, but I also have to be these other five to 10 things too, right? 10 to 20 things. Also, I need to be creative and I need to be, I need to be, you know, free. I need to be someone who can just go out and hike and go get, massages if I want. I need to be with my girlfriend. Exactly. You know, when you said that someone put your hand, that that was my cousin. I was walking around my mom's house. It was like an Irish wake when my mom died because it was such a poignant thing. The whole community, the whole city literally came to a stop Mm. um, during her funeral because she happened to be an executive for the school district. But my dad was uh, an appointed official by the governor. So they were well, they were a well-known couple. And that kind of a story could happen to anyone. You know, you're driving down the street and then bam, you know. And so people were coming over, you know, so many people. And I'm walking around, you know, you know, being the hostess and everything else with my five-week-old baby at my breast with nursing her and doing laundry and all that. So finally, my cousin came up to me and she's like, Linus, Linus, yeah, go upstairs, get some rest. Yeah. I'll take care of this. I mean, because I was like, what? You know? And I, I, I really wasn't able to receive it at the time because I felt like I was doing my job. Yes. And I had no idea. And I'm looking back at that now. I guess that was a form of being brave. But when we're talking about bravery, we're not talking about bravery in terms of in sacrifice of your well-being. No. That's right. We're not talking about running into okay. a crowd of people with guns and knives. That's not what we're talking about. No. Sometimes bravery is taking care of you first. You know, that's the epitome of bravery because it goes against the grain maybe of what's expected or what you even expect of yourself. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's brave to do something outside the box of what you would normally do because it's what's best for you. Yes. 
Exactly. And that's the beauty of bravery is that it might just be saying no. Mm -hmm. Right. That's it. No period. It might be going on a trip all by yourself to another country. It might be deciding that you're going to write that children's book. It might be deciding that you have boundaries in relationships that have not been been respected and you're going to start exercising those boundaries. It can be different for everyone. It can be as big as some life-changing decision, but it can be as small as a no, right? Yes, because a no is a complete sentence. Okay. Oh my gosh, Jen, you have been absolutely wonderful. And I just want everybody to know that um, in the show page, uh, there's all of Jen's social media and uh, her website. Uh, definitely tune into her Instagram. I love your Instagram. I always love listening to see what you have to say. Always inspiring, always inspirational, and always vulnerable. You know, now I'm realizing that's what I'm seeing is the vulnerability, and that's so appealing. And thank you so much for spending this time with me. I feel like, wow, I think I have a friend for life that I can always talk Yay. about. Yay. Yes, <laughs> you do. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And, and thank you all that are listening. You know, I love having guests like this because I really want you to feel empowered to have these same converse, kinds of conversations with your girlfriends or your significant others. The need for you to be brave, the need for you to flip the script and make some changes in your life that will take you more to the whole idea of being vibe, being more vibrant, intuitive, beautiful, and emerge. Thanks so much again for being with us. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. It's been wonderful. I'll see you again next time. And don't forget to vibe. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Vibe Living Podcast. Please feel free to download, rate, share, and like the show. To find out more about living a vibe life, go to my website at wellnesswoman40.com or email me at vibelivingpodcast at gmail.com. Have a fantastic day, and don't forget to vibe.